And I'm coming back home to you And I'm coming back home to you I'm coming back home I'm coming back home to you I'm coming back home I'm coming back home This is a great day. Now, you might have driven here and thought to yourself, ah, I don't think so. It's a normal day. Maybe somebody cut you off. Maybe you couldn't get a good parking place. Maybe the weather uh, kind of like um, made you think, I'd rather another day. Let me tell you why this day is a great day. 365 days ago, I had a heart attack. And here I stand alive and well and healthy and preaching this morning, and I am good, and I'm here to tell you, I don't care what the weather looks like, I don't care how it smelled, I don't care if the grass is growing like crazy, this is a great day. I remember right after it happened, I literally was on the pulpit at the Lakewood campus, we were making a changeover, Pastor Evan and Emily were stepping out to start their church, and Pastor DJ and Cam were going from Castle Rock to take uh, over there in Lakewood, and my job was just simply to pray over that. I remember stepping on the platform, and it happened immediately when I stepped on the platform, and I just didn't know what it was. wouldn't let my head even go to that direction. And, of course, within a short time, I was at the hospital, and they diagnosed it uh, while I was on the table. And I remember once I got home from the hospital after a few days, um, man, the, uh, the sunrise was never as beautiful as I had ever seen it before. And the sunsets were never as precious. Um, This is going to sound really funny. I thought maybe I died and I didn't know it. And so in the middle of the night, I reach over and I just touch Chris just to make sure she was actually there, that I could really touch her. And I remember telling the Lord, I will never, ever allow myself to go back to just seeing this world as just something we survive or something that we're just trying to get through to get to heaven or just, uh, just, and then here's the funniest thing that happens. Uh, for the first 60 days, that was probably true, but then life kind of takes back over, doesn't it? And it's so easy to get in a place where you just forget how blessed you are. That every breath you have right now, there's no guarantee. What you have right now is because God has graced you with what you have right now. And it's so easy to forget that. And I know that Through the last year, there have been times where I forgot how fortunate and blessed I am. And I would look at some of the things that happened over the last year, and especially like the heart attack, and I began to do things like this. I'd ask the question, why me? Anybody else in this room ever ask the question, why me? Like, why did this happen to me? I even bargained with God, like, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. (laughs) 
I mean, I do good things. Not, don't get me wrong, not salvation by works, but just like, hey, God, I, I, I don't feel like I deserve this. Why'd this happen to me? Why'd this take place in my life? And, um, you know, that up and down of those questions, um, let me begin our last message in the series, Why? We're going to talk about why me. And I want to just do this real quickly. If you're a person who right now is asking the question, why me? Why am I having the failure that I'm having? Um, Why am I having the problems that I'm having? Why does it seem like everything I try just doesn't work? God, why does it seem like every time I make a commitment to do the right thing, I end up in the wrong place? And I just always ask the question, why me? If you feel that way, uh, let me give you three things that I learned over the last year about the question, why me? Why me? And the first one just simply is this, and see if you, can't, uh, if you can't agree with this. For whatever reason, God never feels compelled to answer the question, why me, when you ask it. He never seems to answer that question. He never seems to sit down and go, well, let me tell you why you. He allows you to ask it. I'm thankful for that. He doesn't drop a piano on you as you walk down the street. He doesn't seem to judge us for it, but he never feels compelled to answer the question, why me? So the first thing I would just tell you, if you're in that place and you've asked that question and you're just like, God, why won't you answer? I don't, he just never seems compelled to have to answer that question. And the second thing that I learned simply is this, and I think this is probably uh, even maybe more important for you to realize, that even if God did sit down next to you and explain the whole thing, it doesn't mean you'd understand it. I think a lot of times we think if God would just tell me why, then it'll make sense to me. But here's the problem. You are finite and he is infinite. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end and you do. So you see life from this particular point of view, but God sees you before you were ever born. He sees what your life is going to look like in eternity. And God loves you so much that sometimes things are done in such a way in order to get you to the place you need to be that right now if he told you it wouldn't make sense, but once you're there, you'll go thank you for doing that. You understood something that I didn't. Maybe the last thing, and this is the most important thing that I learned about the whole why me. Why me is probably the wrong question to ask if you want to go forward in life. Here's the best question to ask if you want to go forward. What now? Not why me, but what now? Here's what the Bible says. What the enemy intends for evil, God can use for, for good. I like to think of it this way. I know God's not a poker player, but if he had a pair of twos, he could beat you, no question about it. God can use anything to win in your life. He can beat the devil any way that he wants to. It's never good versus evil. God is God, the devil is created, and God wins. And the going forward question is never, why me? There's nothing wrong with asking it, but I'm just telling you what I've learned. Seldom does God answer that. Here's what he answers, what now? What now? Our series is called Why, and particularly this weekend, it's Why Me? Um, We've touched on things that have to do with relationships. And so today, I'm going to touch on the whole thing of single. I'm going to touch on the idea of failed relationships, maybe multiple failures. Uh, I'm going to touch on the idea that maybe you've had so many failures, or maybe it's just gone so wrong, or maybe you just don't know what to do. You feel like a pariah. I'm not sure that anybody ever even teaches that in church. 
But there are so many believers who deal with that issue and then try to figure out, man, what is going on and how do I... And they just give up, and that's not where God wants you. So we're talking about why me. I'm going to use um, the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. I'm actually going to use the first chapter. I'm going to talk a little bit about the creation of man, and then I'm going to go to Genesis 2 and talk about the creation of woman. I want to show you a couple of fun things and interesting things, and uh, maybe they'll just help you. So this is Genesis chapter 1. It's verses 26, and it's 27, and I want you just to kind of Uh, absorb this. Then God said, this is interesting, let us, say that with me, let us. Who in the world is he talking to? Really? Because we, forgive the vernacular, we ain't us yet. We're not created yet. We're not there. So who's he talking to? Angels? Who's he talking to? Here's what it really is, theologically speaking. God exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit eternally for all time. It's a bit of a mystery because it's hard to explain. God's not three gods. He's one. He's singular, and yet he exists in three distinct personalities. When I try to explain it to a person, the best way to try to get a person to get it is this. You're made up of three parts, too. You have a body, yeah? You have a mind, yeah? You have a spirit. All three are one. You exist as one, but... You can't lose one and not have the other two. Some are like, that's not true. I lost my mind a long time ago. And I'm still, okay, I, all right, all right. But the truth, <laughs> it's just seeing if you're listening. All right. So when God says, let us make man in our image, he's speaking to himself. He's speaking to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Three times he says that. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Look at this. Male and female, he created them. We assign a sex to God. We call him him. But God is not a man or a woman. God is whole. God is a spirit. And here's what's being described to us. When God created man and woman, when they are together, it represents the wholeness of God. Isn't that cool right there? Most people don't realize that. They assign God a sexuality. It's a biblical term in order for us to understand it. Here's the truth. We're created in his image, but we're cautioned not to make a God in our image. So man and woman are both created in the image of God. Maybe you remember this story. Uh, Rome was the um, dominating power at the time of Jesus when he walked the earth. Jesus was Jewish and lived in Israel. Rome owned the world, man, and in particular that part of the Mediterranean. Rome was brutal. They extracted taxes. They extracted slaves. They did what they wanted, when they wanted, how they wanted. And the Jews hated the Romans, and the Romans hated the Jews. But the Romans exercised authority at the point of a spear and a sword. So the powers that be during that time were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and Jesus was a threat to them because the people loved him so much. So they were trying to think of a way, how can we trick Jesus where we can get him to either have Rome kill him or have the people reject him? 
So one of them came up with this little riddle. And this is what they said to Jesus trying to trap him. Is it right for a Jew to pay tax to Rome? Because if he says no, then the Romans will kill him for saying no. But if he says yes, the Jews will hate him for agreeing with Rome. Jesus, being as brilliant as he always was, does the most smart thing in the world. Somebody give me a coin. Can you imagine if they might have flipped it to him and he grabbed it? He holds it up and he says, whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar. Jesus probably flipped it back and said, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to what's minted in God's image. You belong to God, man. You're his. You're not accidental. You're not biological. Your mom and dad just didn't get together one day and poof, here you are. God chose you. He minted you. He knows you. Your personality means something to him. Your eye color is known. The number of hair on your head matter. God knows you. He minted you. And somehow we see God so far away from us. And yet he's so personal that you're created in his image. I want to give you four things. Four things. They're the primary needs that every human on the planet have to have to feel safe and happy. Say it one more time. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, male, female, young, old. It doesn't matter if you live in 2017 or you lived in 1017. The proof that you're minted in God's image is that this fingerprint is in your soul. That was dang good and you didn't hear what I said, man. When, when people tell you you exist by accident and for biological purposes, I'm going to prove to you that there's a fingerprint that says you were minted in God's image. Because these four things are what every human needs in order to feel safe and to feel happy. Young, old, male, female, doesn't matter what your color is, doesn't matter what country you grew up in, doesn't matter what your religion is, every human needs these four things to feel happy And to feel safe. The first one simply is acceptance. Yes or no? People need to feel accepted. Accepted. If you knew how accepted you are in the beloved. Here's what the Bible says. We love him because he first loved us. Dude, you didn't pursue him. He pursued you. You didn't ever come up with the idea that I'm searching for God. God found you. And God has been pursuing you. You are accepted because God. God created you in his image. You are his child, and he loves you. And let me ask this question. How many of you have ever had a kid? What is it about your kid that you can put up with all of their yuck, but everybody else's kid's yuck makes you sick to your stomach? (laughs) What is that? Like anybody else's kid's stuff is like disgusting, but your kid, it's like, that's pretty cute. He's my kid. What is that? You know what? That's the fingerprint of God that in you, he was crea- you were created in his image. And when he created you, he accepted you and your stuff doesn't bother God. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. <laughs> it's worth it just to come hear him say amen. When you, I, trust me. There are preachers all over Denver wish they had this right here. <laughs> I feel accepted when he does that while I'm standing up. Okay, now, there's like a fine line between. (laughs) 
acceptance, acceptance is that issue, man, where we, we so want to be accepted. We so want to feel a part. We so want to know that we belong. So when my twins, I had five kids, they're all grown now, but when they were young men, they loved to play sports, and they wrestled, and the wrestling team one time decided to dye their hair uh, green because they were going to state, right? So one of my twins looks like my wife, and he has blonde hair, and the other one looks like me, and he has dark hair. So when the blonde hair dyed his hair green, it actually turned out green, but when the dark hair dyed his hair green, he looked like a skunk. (laughs) It had like some white and some brown, and it was so hard to look at him, to be honest with you. It was like, wow. And so here's what I said, why did you do this? And here's what he told me, because I'm my own man. You and 50 other guys doing the same thing. All of us want to be a part of something. We want to feel like we belong. Why is it we're born originals, but we spend our life trying to die a copy of everybody else? Why do we try to drive the same car, live in the same neighborhood, dress in the same clothes, go on the same vacation? What is that? When that acceptance isn't found here, then of course you have to go this way. We tell ourselves we're rugged, we're individualistic, but the truth of the matter is we just don't want to stand out. We don't want to be what God really called us to be. And the brightest you'll ever shine is when you get it this way so that you can show it this way. Have you ever got that, man? To be who you really are. Every human needs to feel happy and safe. They need to feel accepted. And this is important. What I'm saying is going someplace. Listen to me. I'm going to say it one more time because this is going to be the crux. If you don't get it this way, you're going to try to get it this way, and this is when weird things happen to people. Yeah, that's true. We're talking about relationships. Why me? Why they don't work out? Why they fail? Let me give you the second thing that every human on the planet needs to feel safe and happy. They need identity. God makes it very clear You're minted in my image. You belong to me. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized? I think one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible is when Jesus comes up out of the Jordan. The Bible says that the heavens are open and that the Father audibly speaks so everyone can hear. And this is what the Father says. This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Those three things are so powerful. Good for Jesus, right? That's not the reason it's in the Bible. Here's why it's in the Bible. Jesus is the first And we come after. We're adopted into who he is. We are a part of the family of God, minted in God's image. Jesus is just the first. So the way that God feels about Jesus is exactly the way he feels about you. You are his child, whom he loves, and with you he is well pleased. And if you ever knew what your real identity was, it wouldn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. You could go through life so secure. But let's talk about this for a moment. And it's not political. And I'm not being ugly. Please judge my heart and the humility that I say this in. Yes or no, in 2017, the one thing that people struggle with today is who am I really? Identity is a political issue anymore that people are trying to decide. And identity is a spiritual issue that God needs to tell you about. Hate me. Love me. Curse me, bless me. My job is not to stand up here and be a politician. It's to be a preacher. It's to tell you what God thinks about you. 
He knows who you are. He created you the way that you are. And he approves of you. You are his man. Let me give you the third thing that every human on the planet needs in order to feel safe and happy. They need purpose. The one thing that people need is purpose. Without purpose, God, we wander through life. We guess. How about this? Purpose is never decided. It's discovered. Here's the way it works in our society. I know it when I went to school, and I saw it when my children went to school. When you go to school, they ask you in your second year to declare a major, yes or no. And most people are spending a lot of money to go to school, so they must declare a major. So here's how most people declare a major. What can I make the most money at in my life? Am I telling the truth or not? Do you know how unhappy people are who do something for 40 years that they were never created to do? But they get locked in, and they get locked up, and they get locked out. And they live lives of quiet desperation. Purpose is discovered in a relationship with Jesus, not on a test you take to get admitted into a school. Oh, by the way, by the way, when I went to school, I took the same test to try to figure out what I would be good at. Do you know what they told me I'd be really good at? You know my number one thing? A weatherman. (laughs) TV weatherman. They said I would be a great TV weatherman. You think I'm kidding? A great TV weatherman. (laughs) Back to you, Mike. I I mean, what a... I'm not against a weather perp. I mean, love it. Here's a thought. What if preachers only had to be as accurate as the weather people? Okay. That's just... If you're visiting, I'm not normally this honoring. I just feel really lucky to be alive today, so I just am having, I'm having fun. All right. Uh, fourth thing. Four primary needs that every person needs to feel safe and happy. Acceptance, identity, purpose. The last one is just simply security. Every person needs security. They need to feel like, hey, it's going to be okay. Uh, I said this about ten years ago. It really is off the... It's, it's going to turn away from the message, but let me just say this real quickly. Um, I don't know what you think about biblical prophecy and the future of the world. And if you're here as a skeptic, it, hey, welcome, man. I'm glad you're a skeptic, and I'm glad you're open enough to come here and at least listen. Right? Love skeptics. You don't have to agree with me for us to like each other. Wow. Let me say that one more time. You don't have to agree with me for us to like each other. That's true. Me and my wife don't always agree, but we like each other. I'm just right. Here, here's the... No, that's, she's out there in the foyer so I can get away with it right this second. She can hear you in the foyer. She can hear me. I'll pay the price. Um, security in our age, um, you know, there's a lot taught about like things like the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff. You won't buy or sell. or I don't know how it's all going to play out, but here's one thing that I have seen in my lifetime happen. Security more and more is becoming such an important need to know who's safe and who's not. Secure, this security issue when it comes to like one world government stuff and all those kind of things, here's what my, my thinking is this. It will not come in as some evil thing. It will come in as a thing that most people are going to say, hey, we need this in order to know who's who and who's not. And some of you not even hearing what I'm saying. I'm just throwing it out. Security. To have Security. To know that I have a tomorrow and to know that I'm safe today. 
Let me give you the greatest words of security that were ever spoken in history. Ready? Jesus said this, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He didn't promise that you won't go through a difficult time. He didn't promise that you won't be betrayed. Even Jesus was betrayed. But here's what he did promise, Anthony. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. No matter what you go through, no matter what happens in life, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what your spouse says, no matter what your checkbook says, no matter what your friends say, no matter what the world says, no matter what the news says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. If you can get it right this way, you can have security this way. Can I want this? Look at me. Look at me. This is why this is important. Every human needs these four things. You need these four things to feel happy and to feel secure. You need these four things. And if you don't get them from God, it doesn't change the need. So here's what we do. We then try to get these things from people. And here's the problem. And this is why you can ask, why me? And relationships can fail at such an incredible rate. Because you need these things in your life. If you don't get them from God, by the way, you're created in His image. You're His product. He knows what you need. That's why you have to get it from Him. You're going to have to get it from somebody. No human can ever be God to you. And when you try to make a human God, you put more pressure on a relationship than a relationship can bear. And every relationship where a person tries to make the other one God is doomed to failure. It is doomed from the beginning. My name's John. I'm a pastor. I love you. I'm not a speaker here for a week to make a mess. I've been here for 20 years, and God willing, I'll be here for 20 more. I'm telling you the truth right now. Every human needs these things in life, and when we don't get it this way, we go after it this way. We want someone to guarantee us acceptance, to guarantee us security. And no human can do that in perpetuity. No human can tell you who you really are. No human can give you purpose. No human can provide you with ultimate security. And no human can be ultimate acceptance. They can represent those things at times to you. Marriage can be really awesome. Relationships can be really tight. But when you try to put pressure on a relationship, hey, the biggest red flag in any relationship is when someone constantly tries to take something from you that you can't give. They'll wear you out. And your response will be, stay away from me. So let me move on because that's probably pretty heavy. And um, Genesis chapter 2. Okay, again, you're a skeptic, right? Not all. In fact, I hope most of you aren't. But I know some of you are. Maybe, maybe you got invited here and uh, you're just tolerating me. Thank you for tolerating me. No, seriously, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Offering respect to each other is a key to a wonderful world. Genesis chapter 2, um, there's a little more detail in how God created man and how God created woman. And if you're a skeptic, you may not believe that this is how it happened. That's okay. But can you be open to see a really uh, wonderful 
story here that I think may help explain the why me when it comes to why relationships work and why they don't work and how to see them. So it talks about how God made man and how God made woman. So let's just pick up the story. This is Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 21 to 25. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. By the way, this is the first time in history where we see anesthesia used in order to do an operation. And you recognize that even 150 years ago in the Civil War, here's what they used to tell people. Bite down hard while we cut off your leg. God had wisdom from the beginning that man didn't always pay attention to. I just think that's a brilliant thing right there that most people overlook. Okay, so God puts the man asleep, opens him up, takes a rib, closed the opening, and then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought the woman to the man. Hey, just don't change it. See that part? God brought the woman to the man, right? Okay, when I ask that question, your mouth open and words come out. So let's try it again. God brought the woman to the man, right? Yes. Okay, then watch this. Look at the man's... Look At last! What if the man would have gone like, eh? No, serious. I just, what if the man would have been like, eh? Pastor Terry told me a joke. This is Terry's joke, not John's joke. So if you don't like this joke, it's terry at jfc.org. Okay, not John at jfc.org, Terry. God said to the man, hey, I'm going to make a helper for you, and it's going to be incredible. When you want intimacy, she'll give you intimacy. When you want to eat, she's going to feed you. When you want to be taken care of, she's going to take care of you. She's going to be perfect in every way imaginable. She's going to be beautiful. This is going to be the greatest thing. And Adam said to God, what's it going to cost? God said, an arm and a leg. And Adam said, well, what can I get for a rib? Isn't that a sexist, horrible joke? Terry Hilgers needs help, man. God. There he is right back there. What's wrong with you? Do you even love God or what? Man, I... Just laugh about that. Okay. So Adam's excited. At last! The man exclaimed. Look at what he says. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. And she will be called, whoa, man. <laughs> because she was taken... From the man, and this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And from this scripture, here are four things I want to show you that are really cool in a relationship that you should strive for. Four things. Okay, the first one simply is this. It's not good for a person to be alone. We have a lot of policemen that attend our campuses. And I talked to one last night, and here's my question to him. I didn't, he hadn't heard the messages before. Any, I just said, what's the worst punishment you can do to a criminal? And he said, put them into isolation. Because in isolation, people's minds do funny things. And if you're isolated long enough, it actually warps your mind. They used to call it a penitentiary because you were supposed to be penitent. You repented, and it was supposed to make you better when you came out, but today we don't do that. People come out worse than they went in, yes or no? Yeah. One of the worst mistakes we make is that we isolate people. And I, look, it's not, I'm just saying, 
Isolation is bad. And God himself was the one who said it's not good for a person to be alone. So look at me real quickly. Some of you have had bad failures in marriage. And some of you are failing right now. And some of you have allowed the enemy to tell you you're better off alone. And I need to tell you to quit agreeing with the devil about your life. God does not want you to be alone. He didn't create you to be alone. He created you for connection. It is The devil cannot come and possess you. He cannot come and put his hands on you and make you do anything. But here's what he can do. He is the most skillful liar of all time. And when you agree with a lie, you empower the liar. And when you empower a lie, look at me. People were enslaved for hundreds of years based on a lie. Wars are started and lives are lost based on lies. People hate each other based on lies. Lies are powerful. Lies deal with the emotions in a person, so you feel a particular way, which reinforces the lie. If you want to beat the enemy, do the opposite of what he tells you to do. If you want to beat the enemy, do the opposite of what he tells you to do. Isolation. You want me to just go on or can I talk for a minute? What do you want me to do? Let me talk. When I hurt and when I feel rejected and when I feel like I failed, my first reaction is to isolate myself from people. Why? Why do I do that? I know none of you do. Why do I do that? Why do I isolate myself? You know, the worst part about isolation is if you isolate yourself long enough, you begin to figure ways to sin when you're all by yourself. People mistake my personality. They think, God, that guy must be an extrovert. I love to teach, and so when I teach, a gift comes out. But the way I recharge is by myself. But if I'm by myself too long, some of the worst sins I ever committed in my life were by myself. You may not like that, and you may judge me, but I'm trying to tell you something really good right now. Don't isolate yourself. It warps your thinking. Let me give you the second one. From that scripture, this is just really cool. I talked about it last week. I won't spend very much time, but it's just it's going to prove a point. Let me just talk to you about the difference between covenant and contract. A relationship at its deepest level is based on a covenant, not a contract. All right, now, so Adam, the way that God, according to the scripture, the way God created the woman was to open Adam and to take a rib and then to create the woman. The word covenant in Hebrew means to cut. To cut. A covenant involves blood because blood is the ultimate ratifier. Jesus said it this way. When it comes to communion, this is the new covenant 
in my blood. Blood is an eternal promise. The reason God didn't create the woman the same way as the man, the reason he took her from the side of the man, was because there was a cut here and he wanted the two of them in covenant with each other, not contract with each other. Why didn't he take a piece from Adam's head or from his foot? Because the woman's not supposed to rule over him or be under him. They're partners side by side through life. They walk in covenant with each other. A promise that says, it's not what you do. It's a promise that I made. That's how Jesus loves you. And that's the highest level of love. But it's also the most difficult way to love. I'll give you the fourth one and get you out of here. There's some kind of game on or something. (laughs) According to that scripture that I just read you, the man and the woman were naked and they were not ashamed. And what God wants for you in your relationships is not to have shame. And this is what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And our past can condemn us, and what we did last night can condemn us, and what we said this morning can condemn us, and what we hid from our spouse can condemn us. Our consciences can condemn us all the time. And we bring all this shame into a relationship. And I just want to ask you rhetorically, nobody needs to answer. But yes or no, shame is a killer in a relationship. Oh my goodness. If you knew how much counseling we do to deal with people's shame. And here's what I want you to know. Jesus nailed your shame to a cross and erased it so that in the relationship you're in, you don't have to feel shame. There is mercy and there is grace. And if you'll learn to do this, go this way before you go this way. Learn to let this be the way that you find the answers to life's questions so that you then can go this way. But if you're spending your life trying to go this way, not only does it mess up this way, but it messes up this way. By the way, my name's John. I'm your pastor, and I love you. And I'll be here next week to try to help again. I mean no offense. I mean no harm. And with great humility, I teach this lesson. If anybody falls in the category of failure, it's me. I don't teach it from, look at me. I teach it from, I'm right in the boat with you. We all need a Savior. We're all in need of a Savior. All of us. May God be merciful to us today. May God turn his face towards you. May God bless you. May God breathe upon you. May God inspire you. May God give you his grace to see real change happen in your life. And I pray it in the only name under heaven by which it's possible. That name is Jesus. Amen. We're going to take communion right now. 
May you take it different today. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is not something we do because we go to church. This is something we do because the bride waits for the bridegroom. He's promised us, and we now come to him to receive what we need from him. If you need mercy today, find it when you take communion. If you need grace today, find it when you take communion. If you need love and acceptance and purpose, find it when you take communion because your Father has made room for you at His table. You belong at His table. No matter what you did last night, you belong at God's table. May you know it true. Thank you.